Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Monday, November the 19th, 2012, and this is episode 1023 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, today is Monday, so we're going to have a listener feedback show. This is where you send me email to jack at com with comment for Jack, suggestion for Jack, video for Jack, article for Jack, question for Jack, something like that, something for Jack in the subject line. That'll get you into the right folder to go through the queue, and we'll see if we can get you on the air. I will let you know I have some really important things in today's introduction segment, so if you normally skip it, please don't, because there's some things you're going to want to know about some things that are going on. If you uh, skip it, you may not, and then you may be angry later on down the road. All right, let's start out, though. We will go ahead, as always, and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Fortress Defense Consultants. You know, the world can be a scary place, and uh, one way we can make it a little less scary, and we're going to talk a lot about fear today, So make sure that we can defend ourselves, our families, and other people who are innocent It might be in our presence and come under threat. One of the best ways we can do that is to exercise our Second Amendment rights and carry a firearm. The thing is that rights always come with responsibilities, and if you're going to carry a firearm, I believe you have the responsibility to know what the hell you're doing with it. I don't want uh, the government to enforce that. I want you to do it for yourself because it's the intelligent thing to do as an intelligent human being. You're going to carry around something that can take life. You better know how to use it properly. And, you know, you're going to depend on it. You better make sure that you, the operator, are capable of using the implement, the firearm, to its fullest extent. To do so, you need professional training. I can't think of a better place to get it than Fortress Defense Consultants. We're Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of professional instructors who are perpetual instructors and perpetual students, meaning they're always learning, training each other, taking other training courses with other schools so they can always be at their best for you will help you become much more proficient than you ever thought you could with a firearm. Remember, Frank can travel to you guys too. If you can't get up to, uh, he's actually in Indiana, right on the Illinois border. If you can't get up there, uh, you can put together a group of folks. He can come out and do training for you on site as well. And I always, uh, I, I don't usually say this, but I've been kind of remiss by a couple uh, female listeners who have been to training there saying, ladies, if you guys want a place to go where you're really going to feel comfortable and really feel like you've become proficient when you walk out the door, Go see Frank, and I've heard that from two different uh, females out of this audience who have attended training there saying you could not be in better hands. And ladies, this maybe will make you happy. If you go with your husband, the first thing Frank will do is separate you and put one on one end of the, the, the line and one on the other uh, and uh, and keep you away from each other so he can't tell you what you're doing wrong anymore. Since indeed, he, he, he may not know. He probably needs to be there too. So check him out today, FortressDefense.com. Next up today, backyard food production. Hey, look, um... Another thing you might fear is not being able to feed yourself. Well, if you turn your backyard into a food production machine, uh, you know, you can do a pretty good job of feeding yourself uh, just about no matter what happens to you. And that's what the DVD from Marjorie Wildcraft uh, will do for you. It's called Growing Your Groceries, and it's exactly that, how to grow your own food. And you'll see how they've turned their little farm down south of Austin, Texas, into a food production machine and how you can do that in your own backyard, whether you live in the suburbs or whether you have your own acreage. Either way, you'll be able to use these techniques to make sure you can feed yourself if times get tough or even if they don't. Next up today, I want to remind you about TSP Gear. TSP Gear. TSPgear.com. Yes, the gear shop has returned. Kelly John Doe from Survival Gear Bags is running that for us. He's doing a great job. There's some really cool designs there. Uh, I want as many people as possible to get on by there and check out the Every Citizen of Sentinels t-shirt and consider getting a, a t-shirt and consider uh, proudly stating that you'll be a sentinel for your fellow man. We're going we're gonna to talk about that quite a bit today, too. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys, TSP Copper's got some cool copper rounds. You can check them out, including uh, the Survival Podcast official TSP Copper round. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Members Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, and you'll be supporting the show at about 20 cents an episode. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service. Email me before you join, and I'll send you a special discount to thank you for, for your service. Just put service discount in the subject line. Again, folks, the email address, 
jack at the survivalpodcast.com. It is my real email address. It is the only email address you need to get to me. Uh, while I have other email addresses, they all go to the same place. It, it's not one just for the show. Some of you guys seem to think from time to time, I really do read all my email. I can't answer it all, but I do hear what you have to say. Uh, but following rules like service discount in the subject line or question for Jack in the subject line will make sure you go into the proper place and get proper consideration. All right, before I get into the main topic, I've got a couple things to talk about today that I thought you might want to hear about. I am, uh, number one, going to tell you that I am overwhelmed by the response uh, in spite of the price of the Jeff Lawton workshop of people that want to come. I haven't even done a count yet, but I think I might have more people already saying they don't care when and they don't care how much they want to come and they want on a list to come. And if you want to send me an email about coming to the Lawton workshop, I will continue to build that list. And once we get all everything worked out, I will go down the list in the order it's received and say, hey, do you want to come? Here's how much it's going to be. Here's when it's going to be. And, um, you know, wait for that person to respond. And if, uh, if they, if they say yes, you know, check one off. And, uh, I'm going to try to push the head count up to 12. I think I can do that. And I think I can do that safely. Um, with not, you know, putting too many people on the side or what, what have you. Um, but that's probably about it. And for anybody that doesn't get to come to that, let me just say in advance, I'm sorry. Because I cannot possibly uh, bring as many people into this as I want. But I am going to do some things to try to help with that. What I'm going to do is, and it's just going to be a matter of figuring out and, you know, trying to do really good short-term workshops is to run a series of them over a few weeks while the design that Jeff does is very young and everything's exposed and you can still see what's going on and try to run like weekend workshops and run those for a lot less money. I don't know exactly how much yet. I don't exactly know how many days or the format yet, but I want anybody that wants to learn from this so that they can replicate it to be able to see it in its entirety and I will do whatever I can to make that available to the people that can't attend. It won't be the same but it can't be the same. And like any event, there's a cap. And uh, it seems like we may already be there, but you can feel free to continue to email me about this. Just put Lawton Workshop in the subject line, and I'll add you to the list. And the only fair thing I can do, it, to me this is the only fair thing I can do, is respond in the order that they were received. And and I feel bad about that, but there's, there's nothing else I really can do right now. Next up, um, I want to let you guys know that we have definitely made a decision And we seem like we're like 99% on this new house down in Texas now. It seems like it's going to happen. Everything seems good to go. We're squared away in every way that we possibly can. And unless the inspection reveals that there's a nuclear power plant underneath it or something like that, uh, we'll be having this, this house closed on this year uh, before the year's end, probably around the 28th of December. And we'll be making our move down there. And we are going to sell our house in Arkansas. It's a pretty awesome house. It really is. It's a mobile home, but for... The price point and the location and the community that it's, you know, the people that live back with us and the gate across the road and the five acres and, and everything that's got going for it, um, there isn't anything in this area like it for probably about the $85,000, $88,000 we're going to ask for it. And it doesn't have to be, but I would love it to be to somebody in this audience. I really would love to sell. I would love to sell to somebody that's going to appreciate it for what it is knows the work that went into getting it where it's at and wants to take it to another level. Um, there's only about, I'd say, a good half quarter an acre that's really suited to what we've been doing from you know a, a homesteading standpoint. But if you're willing to bring in somebody with an excavator for a couple days and pay them maybe a thousand, two thousand bucks, you could real easy turn into another acre that would be really amazing. And I can show whoever buys it how to do that, exactly where, why, what to take out, what to leave behind, uh, and how to structure it. And you could do the whole five if you wanted to. You're just going to take out a lot of hickory and oak that you may not want to, to take out. But you, you could if you wanted to. But there's definitely some real potential to expand it, to do some really cool things, to create some redundancy. But there's a lot of things I was going to do that I just quit on when I decided we were leaving. But um, I just want you guys to know, if anybody wants to come by and look at the place, if anybody wants to consider purchasing it, I would rather deal between two people and leave real estate agents out of the equation altogether. Uh, I can make you guys a better deal that way, and, and I think that's the best way for people to work. We bring agents in when we need somebody to do the job we can't. Um, so I'm just putting that out there today that the house will be going up for sale. One more announcement. Um, I'm probably going to need to raise some money to make all of this stuff happen. I am likely to announce later this week an opportunity to become a lifetime member of the Member Support Brigade. 
I will cap that too. I'm thinking 300 bucks, and you're a member for the rest of your life. And I'm thinking capping it at, I don't know, 20, 30 people. Uh, if you think it's a good idea and you're interested in it, let me know. I don't know if anybody's going to be interested in that or not. Effectively, you're paying for six years. Um, I, again, I'm not sure anybody's going to want to do that, but if you're interested, let me know. That tells me whether or not it's a good idea, and it might help me raise some funds to uh, to get this unplanned move done because this was not part of the plan. Uh, but uh, I could make it happen either way. But if somebody, if people see value in that and would like to be a lifetime member of the MSB, then we can make that happen uh, for some select number of people. I don't want to do it like a wide open thing. Um, I want to do it just maybe for and maybe keep it special and maybe do it once in a while with select numbers, you know, allowed each time. Anyway, that wraps up all the uh, the special stuff today. I, I, I do want to now cover. Um, some stuff that happened on Friday. On, on fr and I, I promised to do this in the show notes, and it may eat up half of the show today to do this, but I think it's worth it. I think there's a big lesson here for all of us. Um, a person called in, for those of you that didn't hear the show, from Florida and said, hey, you know, I've been through hurricanes. When they tell us to get out, we get out. And I have no sympathy for those people up there in New Jersey and New York. And he went on and he said that three times. No sympathy for any of those people. Um, if he said, I had a, I have little sympathy for those that were told to get out and didn't, I probably would still be pissed, but I wouldn't have completely snapped my gasket. But no sympathy for any of those people is an exact quote from that call. I'm not going to play it again because I'm going to not be angry today, and I'm not going to snap out, and I'm going to tell you what I did wrong, and I'm going to tell you what I did right, and I'm going to tell you what we can learn from it. Um, what shocked me, though, Because after I got done with it, I thought, you know what, Jack? I even thought of myself. You're you're a little too uh, aggressive, uh, a little too angry, a little bit over the top, and almost sounded a little too violent. And if you feel that way about yourself, there's going to be people in this audience that feel the same way. So there were a lot of you that brought that to my attention, and in the comments section, I acknowledged it. Now, I also had people in the comments section that don't comprehend things like spam filtering and thought because their comment didn't show up right away, they'd somehow be slighted and, I want, yeah, I gave you money for two years and them, and those people, you can just, you can just jump in a lake. I, I, there's nothing I can do for you, uh, especially when you even try to explain to somebody what happened and they still want to run their mouth. Um, so there's always going to be people, and that'll be part of this lesson here, is there's always going to be people that you just have to go, you know what? tough shit. I, I can't deal with you. And they are what they are. But most people don't fall into that category. And the guy that called in probably wasn't in that category. What shocked me and what led to me snapping out in the first place was the number of people in this community that share the sentiment. Before I go on, I would like to play a call that came in after the show from a person who agrees with me and the points that I made. I don't know if he agrees with exactly how I said it, but he agrees with what I said. And I'd like you to hear the way he puts it. And I'm going to come back and acknowledge something after I play it for you. Wow. You know, um, I'm really, I was, I was a little shocked at the guy from Florida. Um, but, you know, people, they get, they get off thinking in one direction and they don't consider everything. So, you know, you forgive people like that. Uh, what I'm, <laughs> God, I'm speechless. I, I'm, I'm appalled at the people that, after hearing both sides of of the thing, decided to double down in your comment section, and uh, you know, tell you that you're in the wrong. I, I'm reminded of the people that, desperate and starving, abandoned their children to the orphanages in Greece, and the people from your audience that would torture them in public and all of these other things they were ready to do to, uh, you know, the poor people over there in Greece that were freaking starving to death. What, seriously, what the pro, what, what is wrong with you people? Guess what? They had three days to wait for the, to get ready for the storm. You know what? You can't get ready for the storm if you can't even, if you don't even know how you're going to buy food tomorrow, if you're barely making rent or taking care of your kids, or if your boss tells you, Well, guess what? You've got two kids, and if you don't show up to work tomorrow, you're fired. And if there's no storm, you got to come back and figure out how to keep putting food on the table. So you send your family out of town, and you stay there and work. You know, not everybody can just, oh, well, I'm going to take a week off because the storm might be bad, 
or or even it's going to be terrible but i have no choice you know what you people live in disneyland wake up i'm sorry but you know not everybody not everybody gets to live with the same choices that you guys might have uh i'm speechless you know it's a prepper community you'd think that people in a prepper community would understand that life doesn't always go the way you want it to that, that not everybody gets dealt a uh, a hand of easy choices uh, uh it's just shocking jack good for you um as to what you had to say no kidding uh bye okay what i have to acknowledge is he probably did a better job than i did because he didn't snap his gasket though he wanted to um there was a second call he made that kind of followed up on it but i think this makes his point so i'm only going to play the one and he also sent me an email that said i had to struggle not to drop the f bomb during my call so he was in spite of the fact that he kept himself very reserved he was full of righteous anger the way that i was full of righteous anger but he did a better job of controlling it but i want to tell you a few things here about what we learned from this experience I want to tell you first of all why people including you if you're one of them will say things like oh screw them they should have been prepared when they were told to get out they should have gotten out let's not even go into all of the reasons that those statements are wrong and why it's not as simple as that and why it's not as black and white the caller did a pretty good job of outlining it and i could come up with a hundred more reasons that are specific to individuals that don't make it as easy as we sometimes want it to be but do you know why people really say screw them do you know why people say i have no sympathy for those people I think most of you don't know. I've already said it today a couple times, so you might have it now, but I think some of you are going to even struggle with how it works. It's fear. It's fear. When a person says screw them, you know what they're really saying? I am scared shitless that if something really bad happens to me, even though I've dealt with other things that were bad, that there's something that could happen that I can't handle. And seeing it happen to other people, even though I'm a prepper, opens up my own envelope of normalcy bias. The normalcy bias that I've built up with preps, preparedness, good mentality. I've, I've increased my own ability to survive, but yet I know there's things that may take me out, take my family out, or take us down that I may not be able to handle. And when I see it happen to somebody else, it makes me feel that it could happen to me and i have to do something to make it go away and the most common human reaction when you have something come into your heart that makes you uncomfortable is to fight it and since you can't really fight it because it's inanimate you look for the first thing you can personify that you can have disdain or resistance for. And in this case, that'll land squarely on the victims. Then the people running your television stations will show you the lowest common denominator out of that group because they'll be the ones that are complaining the loudest and you will turn all of the people into that group of people. And you will think in your heart though you won't admit it, "Oh my god, that could be me and the only way you can make yourself feel okay again is to belittle those people and say it's their own fault because since you're prepared if you say that loud enough and hard enough and long enough maybe just maybe it won't be true about you and if you have any of that in your heart find it and eradicate it because it can be you it can be you tomorrow morning and you need to know that. Now I said that there was fear on all sides of this. So where's my fear? I'm in touch with the fear I just outlined. And there's a funny thing about fear. When you get in touch with your fear, it goes away. Disappears. Fear is darkness. 
Darkness and light cannot coexist. Darkness doesn't even exist, but it can't coexist with light. There's a little metaphysical thing here. It can be a physical science thing. It can be a religious thing. It can be a spiritual thing, but it doesn't matter how you explain it. It all works the same way, and I mean it like this. You walk into a room, and it's dark. If you keep walking around in that room, something that does not exist, darkness, because darkness is not a thing. It is only the absence of light can hurt you. You can stub your toe. You can trip and break your neck. Anything from minor injury to death caused by something that doesn't exist. The second you turn a light on, even a tiny pinprick of light in a fully darkened room, you start to banish the darkness. And if you turn a bright light on, it's gone forever. It's been banished. And once you know what's inside that room, even if it's dark again, you could make your way around it in the dark. And if there was anything really bad there, you'd know where it was and how to avoid it just because you could remember it. This is how your fear works. If you'll expose it, if you'll have the courage to expose your fear, and if you have the courage to expose that the reason you will write people off in these disasters is your own fear that it could be you and you just don't want to face it, that fear will go away. You can harness it, and you can become a better prepper, a better member of your community, and a better sentinel in your republic. My fear, which is what made me react with such anger, with such rage, with such a tone of violence, was, oh my God, they don't get it. I have failed as a teacher. When I see, because it wasn't just this caller, folks. There were many of you, especially on Facebook, Screw them. If you help grasshoppers when it's cold, don't you just make them stay grasshoppers? Stuff like that. There was a lot of it. This guy just called in and rubbed salt in the wound and said three times, no sympathy for any of them. So he got the full laser force of my fear, of my response to that view. Because I feel like for four and a half years now, I've been telling this community... You have to take care of each other. You have to look after each other. It's the only way you're going to make it. It's the only way. And there were a lot of people that were very upset for me with the way that I handled it. That's fine. But there were a lot of people that sided with the caller's view. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that I come in here and I work my ass off every day. I go and find you guests, I get you information, and I constantly teach you that we are all we have. And that without each other, we're screwed. And this is played out in disaster after disaster. Everything from warfare and genocide to natural disasters and everything else in between, the people who tried to go it alone always got hurt the worst in the end. They always did. They always will. It's only by taking care of each other that you're able to get through these things. No person is immune. And when I work so hard to tell you that so many times, in so many ways, and then casually a person can just go, screw them, I get angry. And I snap out. And I say what in fact is the truth. Almost. And here's the pledge I'm going to make to you guys. And I'm even going to do this with people that don't deserve it, like politicians. For instance, I called that guy an asshole. He's probably not an asshole. He's probably not at all. But he's talking like an asshole. And he's behaving like an asshole. And that small change in how you say something actually is very important. When you tell somebody you're a jerk, you're an asshole, you know, you're anything, You're effectively writing that person off, and that's not right. That's not the way to handle things. But I am who I am, right? And I don't tolerate shit from people, and I'm not going to. And if I started to, you would not listen to this show anymore. If I changed into the nice guy that some of you think I should be, you would not listen to this show because I wouldn't be real. That doesn't mean I can't make certain concessions because they're better for me as well. And that is I shouldn't write off a person because they're behaving like an asshole because they may not always. 
And I do think that people need to be woken up. And when you're talking out of your ass, somebody needs to tell you that. Somebody needs to tell you, hey, dude, you're talking like a fool. Not you are a fool. Unless the person flat out is a fool. And you will find some people that you just go, I can't, yeah, okay? You know, the, the, the not casting your pearls among swine thing. That's probably not who this guy really is, though. He was afraid. He was afraid it could be him, and he couldn't admit it, so he reacted the way he did towards the people who represented his fear. I reacted the way I did, because when you people tell me I have not heard you, Jack, I fear that you never will. But I realize now that since that's what the problem was, I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. I don't have to fear that you won't listen. I just have to keep telling you and trust that when it really comes down to it, the seed's planted, the tree will grow. So hopefully, for those of you that were very upset with me, this makes it right. I do think some of you are going to be even more upset now because I've made you see something you didn't want to see. Well, if that's the case, all I can tell you, that is my job here at the Survival Podcast. Let's start taking some of your other feedback because, well, the hundred and some odd comments that I got to that one were about as many as I could handle with a single response like I did today. So hopefully we've all learned something. Let's move on. All right, let's move on to something I can be angry about and most people will be okay with. And even though I'm not going to get real angry today, I'm kind of a mellow after this really great re weekend of relaxation I had with my wife and getting through the stress of all the paperwork for buying the new house. But... Um, this can raise your blood pressure. <laughs> you know how Jack tells you all the time, do not buy a house in an HOA. And some of you are like, well, you know, it does help with people not having fences that fall down or whatever. And my point is, if you give anybody power, power will run amok. It always happens. It always happens. Here's an example. This is on The Consumerist. I'll put a link in today's show notes. <laughs> Get this. With no one but themselves, the police speed limits in their gated community, a homeowners association in Colorado has set up a radar system and begun issuing tickets to speeders. Drivers caught violating the maximum 30 mile per hour speed limit in the community will be subject to fines from anywhere to $15 to $100, depending on how fast they were driving. If a violating driver is a visitor of the subdivision, their ticket will be given to whichever homeowner they were visiting at the time. As you might expect with most HOA restrictions, some residents are not thrilled. Quote, it's just a little bit overboard for a private community to be policing themselves, end quote, one homer tells CBS Denver. Another resident who said she was almost hit twice in a night by speeding cars is still against the measure. Quote, no, that's outside the boundaries of what the HOA was established to do, end quote, she explains. Quote, that is within the boundaries of what the law is supposed to do, end quote. But local county sheriff is not responsible for traffic enforcement on private property. If residents believe their HOA's actions are too restrictive or cross a legal line, they need to become more involved. Too many of the stories about runaway HOAs involve residents who take issue with a rule, with a new rule after it's been enacted. If you're going to pay dues to be part of an HOA, you might as well take part in how it governs your neighborhood. Except it doesn't freaking work because there's always more idiots inside an HOA than there are not inside an HOA. I'm telling you, idiots gravitate to this. And I'm going to tell you why. There's plenty of people there that don't want all this crap, but they feel like I don't have any choice and they just kind of go, but the people that want to control other people's lives, the people that want to tell other people how to live, can't stop themselves. They don't like the color of the grass. They don't like color. This is just another example. I'm not going to go deep into it. I'm not going to tweak. I really am not. But this is just one example of what can go wrong. Now, how do you solve this problem? How do you solve this problem without setting up automatic speeding ticket generators or whatever the hell it is? There's only going to be a couple people causing this problem. You know, people come through, it's supposed to be 30, the guy's going 35, it's on a straightaway, there's no kids playing in the street, is it that big a deal? No. But there's people, I guarantee you, there are people in this community that are driving like maniacs. So, Joe and Bob and Tom and Sam and all the people don't drive like idiots, go over and see Frank that's behaving like an idiot and go, hey Frank, let me tell you what, you want to live here in our community, 
You need to be safe. You need to be respectful. And you need to slow the hell down. Because if you hurt one of our kids, you know what? We're going to have real problems. And you bring your kids with you and you turn around your point. You say, you see them? Right? You moved here for the same reason we did. How about we all look after each other? It's called communicating with each other instead of running everything through a board so you don't have to talk, talk to your neighbor or whatever. If you want to live this way, fine. This is just one example of the results. And the next time you're looking for a place to live and somebody says something stupid to you like, but you just can't find a good place without one, they're full of crap. Keep looking. You'll find one. I would never ever live in a place like this. This is one example of why. It's not what they do. It's what it kills. Every layer of government further destroys a layer of community. You, every time you put a system in place to do that which should be done between people, you eliminate their need, responsibility, and obligation to do it for themselves, and people become more and more isolated from each other. There you go. Let's take another one. Okay, next one. You guys know I support local law enforcement, but I'm always calling on law enforcement officers to police your own and to let your fellow officers know when they're being a dumbass, right? Remember, they're not dumbasses. They're behaving like a dumbass. Here's an officer behaving like a dumbass. I mean, beyond words, behaving like a dumbass. This one's hard to even get your head around. How about this? Uh, Piedmont Mom gets a $2,500 ticket after son three urinates in the front yard. Yeah, the little kid who's being potty trained took pee in his front yard. Here's what happened. And this is not Piedmont, California, out in the beautiful suburbs. This is Piedmont, Oklahoma, in a rural community on a two-and-a-half-acre lot off a hardly-traveled road that cop just happened to be there. A three-year-old gets his mom in trouble with the law when he gets a ticket from police. Now the boy's mother will have to pay thousands of dollars for what the toddler did in their own front yard. Dylan is being potty trained. His mother said he was play wasn't playing out, out outside and wasn't near the facility, so he unzipped. <laughs> News 9 was told before he could pee, Piedmont officer stopped him in a bathroom break that cost the mom $2,500. bucks. Quote, Dylan pulled down his pants to pee outside. I guess the cop pulled up and asked for my license and told me he was going to give me a ticket for public urination. And quote, the boy's mother, Ashley Warden, said, quote, I said he's, he's three years old and he said it doesn't matter, said Dylan's grandmother, Jennifer Warden. Quote, he said it was public urination. I said we are on our property. He said, but it was in public view, end quote. The family lives on two and a half acres and said the street is actually quite rural, but they say the officer who cited them parks at the end of their street daily, so they asked him why. Quote, it's a public street and he wants to so he can, Jennifer Warden said. The wardens filed a complaint with the police department. The police department didn't accept the warden's complaint. They have a court appearance set for next month. Okay, and she says, you know, we're wasting tax dollars, and I agree. And you can read the rest of the little bit of the article if you want to. But here's what should happen in this case. If everything happened up to this point, somewhere in that police department or sheriff's department is either sheriff or chief of police, somebody like that. When they got this in front of them, they should have called that officer into their office and literally eaten their ass starting at their left ankle, working up around their head, around their ear, across the top of their head, back down the other side till they got down to their right ankle. That guy should have walked out of that chief's office and, and went, I, there's no place for me to sit down until I grow my ass back. That's how heavy of a chewing the guy should have gotten. The police then public, the chief should have then publicly came out and said, this is not acceptable. Parents should not allow for this, but we feel the uh, incident was handed in, handled improperly. The officer didn't use uh, effective judgment. It's not like this was a chronic problem. The kids just learning. There is discretion in law enforcement. This is a time that it should have been exercised. We're here by dropping the charges. We'd like to apologize to the lady, but we also like to point out this is not acceptable behavior and it's not something you should be allowing your children to do. That was what would happen in a world with common sense. But instead, they're going to go to court over this thing. Now, here's what can still happen. A judge, if he can reach into his own brain and find his common sense, 
Well, you know what? Should pretty much say the same thing. You know, we're going to dismiss this. This is this is not intentional. This is not doing anybody any harm. This is the world we're living in. So, police officers, if you know somebody in your department or just somebody you know through other channels that's a fellow officer that does dumb shit like this ever, you need to have a woodshed conference with them and explain to them this is not good for our relationship with the communities that we serve. You are behaving like a freaking moron. Knock it off. Now, there's much more severe examples of abuse by law enforcement that you guys need to address with your fellow officers. Some of you, some of your fellow officers that don't need to be officers. And I'll tell you what, the whole brotherhood thing, that's great, right up until somebody violates your brotherhood. So a little message for law enforcement officers today that, you know, the whole you got your buddy's back thing. When your fellow officer violates the rights of a citizen, he's broken your brotherhood. Understand that. Understand that. When they when your fellow officer breaks his oath, he's broken his oath not just to society, to you. He doesn't need you covering his ass. He needs you kicking his ass. That's a more severe thing than we're talking about here. But this type of freaking Napoleon complex by a policeman sitting on a street waiting for something to go wrong and writing a ticket because a kid took a pee, this crap, unchecked, leads to those abuses. Law enforcement officers, I hope you've heard me today. And I, if, if one of you will kick your fellow officer's ass and prevent abuse... It's worth saying. Let's take another one. Let's move over to the world of genetically modified organisms in our food supply and the threat that I keep telling you about that some of you want to minimize and say isn't really that big a deal and not that big a danger. And what I keep telling you, what I keep saying, is there's a bigger threat behind what they're modifying the food to do versus the modification itself. In other words, I think if you took a genetically modified soybean and just ate it, and all it was was genetically modified, but then it was, if you could even call it this, grown organically after that. The risk is there, but it's minimal compared to the risk if we take the genetically modified soybean that's actually been genetically modified so we can spray it with glyphosate, better known in your, 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 your box stores as Roundup, and then eat it. And it's much more dangerous. And the whole point is that's what they're modifying the food to do. And you say, ah, oh, it's not that bad. And so <laughs> Dave sends me this, and I'm not picking on Dave, but Dave sends me the link, and it says, wash your veggies, folks. Here's the problem. You can't wash glyphosate off a soybean when the soil's been drenched with it. It's absorbed into the soybean. And then it's been processed and put into the food that you're eating. That's how the soy's getting consumed. Or it's been processed in the soy, made in the cattle feed, fed to a cow, gone into the cow system because it does this, and then absorbed by you, and you're talking about accumulating it up the food chain. And what can this do to us? We've already talked about all kinds of things. Here's a new report from the Natural Society. Let me read this to you. This is, this is stuff that we, we all want this in our lives, guys. Monsanto's Roundup, glyphosate, linked to Parkinson's in similar conditions. You know, I was just sitting around the table with my wife this weekend when we were enjoying a giant bowl of uh, you know genetically modified soybean gruel. And I was saying, honey, wouldn't it be great if we could both, in our old age, or maybe even right away, get Parkinson's and we could go out that way? Would No, see, that conversation never happened because nobody wants that. Come on, and here's the article. We already know the links between herbicides and sterility in men, birth defects, mental illness, obesity, and possibly cancer. That's not enough, right? But now we have something new to add to the nasty effects of pesticides list, Parkinson's disease and similar neurodegenerative effects. New research published in the Journal of Neurotoxology and Tetralogy. See, that's the conspiracy theorist magazine, the Journal of Neurotoxology. That's that's where all the conspiracy theorists are, guys. Right? That's that's no, no. There's they're actually like medical doctors that do medical. Oh, okay. Let's go back to that. Indicates a connection between a component in Monsanto's Roundup and Parkinson's disease. Glyphosate is said to induce cell deaths. With frightening repercussions. You mean that we shouldn't want our cells killed? That that's a bad thing? Damn. Man, this is turning everything on its head. 
GreenMedInfo.com reports a study was investigating links between herbicides, weed killers, and brain damage. These chemicals, the study authors say, quote, have been recognized as the main environmental factor associated with neuro neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's. Parkinson's is a degenerative nervous system disease. It slowly progresses as time goes on with common symptoms like tremors, rigidity, difficulty walking, poor posture, lack of movement, and slowness of movement, according to the University of Maryland Medical Center. The CDC reports Parkinson is the 14th leading cause of death in the U.S. In 2010, the last year for which data is available, there was a 4.6% increase in the number of deaths attributed to the disease. One has to wonder if there's a connection between this jump and the ever-growing prevalence of herbicides like Roundup in our air, food, and water. See, there you go. Pesky details again. If, well, I don't, I, I don't eat genetically modified food. I don't eat corn. I don't eat soy. I don't eat stuff with stuff in them. If I do, it's organic. I don't have nothing to worry about. If you're spraying it at the rate that it's being sprayed now, it's in the air you breathe and the water you drink. And that's not a direct Uh, can, a direct result, let's say, of genetic modification of the seed. It's a direct result of the excessive use of this toxic substance because we've made it possible through genetic manipulation. We really, folks, as a community, you have to start connecting the dots and understanding how this stuff works out. You can read the rest of the article if you want to, but here's the deal. This stuff they're telling you is generally recognized as safe, perfectly safe, and nothing to worry about. With the modification to the gene itself is completely ignoring the saturation of the food with glyphosate. So the same Monsanto executive that tells you, oh, there's nothing wrong with it, it'll be fine, ask him if he'd like to fill up a shot glass full of his own product, glyphosate, take a swig of it. And when he says no, ask him why not, and then ask him why we're supposed to eat it in our food. See, they've misdirected the entire argument to whether or not the, the, the gene modification process itself is safe. And it's probably not. It's probably quite dangerous. But it pales in comparison to eating food literally saturated with poison. Do you know, when you spray glyphosate, it's not like a powder or a dust. It's a liquid. It goes into the soil. It soaks into the soil. It actually kills the plants, usually because it actually, this is what, this is what herbicides do to kill plants. They cause themselves to grow themselves to death. That's what they do. They accelerate growth. They're literally growth accelerators. They, they cause the, the plant's metabolism to speed up faster than it can handle, and it basically explodes from the inside, and then it wilts and it dies. But then you modify these other plants so that they won't respond that way, and they'll take that chemical into them just like When it comes in contact with their leaves, they'll absorb it through their leaves just like a foliar fertilizer. And they'll take it up from the ground as it saturates the ground into their system. And they will, this is the big thing, something like a soybean or a corn plant, any plant that produces a seed, it will concentrate whatever it's absorbing into its seed. So if we look at the, the nitrogen, for example, the highest amount of nitrogen in a soybean plant is in the bean and then the pod, and then the leaf, and then the stem. So as you go closer to the most productive nature, the higher, well, it does it not just with nitrogen, which is a good thing, but with everything. And that's what we're eating. And now we have clear evidence that this chemical can lead to Parkinson's and other similar neuro, neurological disorders. But it's okay, we'll just keep eating it. And we're supposed to believe the people in California really voted against um, really voted against labeling GMOs. You know what? If there was ever proof of voter fraud, the failure of Proposition 37 in California, and I know some of you were opposed to it, but the failure of it in California, even if you think it's a good thing, you should admit that it, it really looks suspicious. You had a, a situation where 85% of voters in California were for labeling. 85%! Two weeks before the election. And then it fails by a margin of almost 20%. Yeah, voting in this country is meaning less and less, isn't it, folks? I think that's proof there. But if you've been on the fence about GMOs, read this article today. Start doing some research into it and start protecting yourself and your family by keeping this crap out of your food system. Uh, let's, let's take another one. 
Now, if you want to um, be able to uh, produce your own food and your own meat, uh, one way we can do that is by raising small livestock. And I have a, a one here I'm not going to go deep into because it's way too in-depth because the guy did such a great job with it. But you can read the entire thing on our forum if you want to. But it's on the production of meat from Muscovy ducks. And Muscovy ducks are the ones with the little red bubbly things on their heads and all. You used to see them in parks all the time, and now due to the, the federal government trying to say they're a federal migratory game bird, you don't see them there as much. But in spite of uh, legislation that attempted to uh, make them illegal, that kind of got put on the back burner, and you can still get them. And this is a result. It says, Jack, I posted a short explanation of my experience with Muscovy ducks in your forum. And there's a link. I'll put it in today's show notes. In summary... I estimate you can get 40 to 60 pounds of meat from 60 to 80 pounds of grain input to winter a hen and drake. That's some pretty cheap meat if you know how to process and cook it. Thanks, Jack. Hopefully someone finds this information useful, and I will be improving the system again next year. James. Okay, that's awesome. And I want you to really think about what that means. And, and what James did was let these ducks, and they're very, very good at it, Muscovy ducks are, forage for most of their own food. There's less for them in the winter, so we have to really feed our hen and our drake fairly heavily through the winter. We have to feed them somewhere between 60 to 80 pounds of grain. But think about the cost of a pound of grain versus a pound of meat, and what you're in effect doing with this system is exchanging 60, 70 pounds of grain for 40, 50 pounds of meat. How often would you like to make that exchange? So I think it's a great thing. If you want more details, the best thing is going to be to go into the forum and look at it all. But I think that Muscovy ducks are one of the most underutilized sources of meat uh, in, in our country. And I know when I was growing up, we were hunters, and we used to hunt ducks all the time. And there's all these Muscovy ducks everywhere. And I remember I used to tell my uncle, you know, what about them? And he's like, oh, they're, they're terrible eating. They're one of the best eating poultry animals on planet Earth. They're incredible. They're low in fat, high in protein. Um, anybody that says Muscovies are not good to uh, eat has never eaten one. They're outstanding and highly productive, and they look after themselves. And they are about the only domestic poultry that doesn't come from the uh, – or domestic duck, anyway, that doesn't come from the mallard. All of the other ducks, the rowan duck, um, uh, the, the pecking duck, the, all of those ducks – when you trace their lineage back, all the domesticated breeds today, they go back to the mallard. The, the muscovy is its own bird, its own animal. It's native to Central and, and South America and native to parts of Mexico. And uh, that means they're highly adapted. And they're not, you know, domestication of a muscovy duck is basically people started feeding them and they hung around. There's really, other than some breeding for color and all, not a lot been done. They're pretty much what they always were, which means they're a natural food source. The other one, I just want to kind of give you guys a teaser that's very in intriguing to me. And I kind of feel like I should have known about th this one a long time ago, is what we've been talking about recently on the air, which is quail. And raising quail seems to be one of the most productive poultry ventures you can have. So we have somebody coming on air to talk to us about raising quail in January. That's going to be an awesome show. Let's, t let's take another one. Okay, the next thing I have for you is yet another reason to kick people that want HOAs in the shin and say not to do that. It's also kind of a prelude to an upcoming show I've done with a psychologist uh, or a professional counselor about resiliency in our children and how we're losing that. That show I'm probably going to air because we have Chef Keith tomorrow with the Thanksgiving primer. I'm running the Thanksgiving special again on Wednesday, and then on Thanksgiving we're down. I think I'll run this show. It's already recorded for you on Friday. So this is kind of a prelude to it, to what we're doing to our children, but I'm not going to say anything. This is a report off of a uh, Dallas-Fort Worth news station, and I have put this out on Facebook, etc., so people have seen it before, but for a lot of you guys, it'll be the first time. I want you to listen to this, and I want you to think how far we have fallen as a nation of people that can look after themselves and have children that can look after themselves Because what they're describing as dangerous is the kind of thing that, I don't know, I grew up playing in. Here you go. Think about walking your kids to school. Images like these come to mind. Crossing guards leading students safely across the street. But at Mooneyham Elementary School in McKinney, it's a different story. Some parents say their kids are anything but safe on their way to school. Channel 8's Steve Stoller's live in Frisco tonight with this story. Steve? 
Shelley, parents call it a serious accident waiting to happen. Every day, dozens of kids cross this drainage ditch here to get to and from school. Well, parents are calling on their school district in two different cities to make it safe. It's a typical after-school scenario at Frisco ISD's Mooneyham Elementary. Dozens of kids take a shortcut home by crossing this drainage ditch. Their only way to get across the water without getting wet are these concrete pillars. So I've seen kids wipe out, my son's wiped out. They either get wet or they bang up their knees. So our concern is, is just their general safety. Keith Brunson shot these photos of kids crossing the ditch by actually getting in it. When the water is low, it's often filled with slimy and slippery algae. The embankment is pretty steep and it gets extremely muddy whenever it rains, but also there's no actual footholds for the children to use to cross the water. It's actually going to take some kind of bridge across here to get them safely across the ditch. But building that bridge will be complicated. Mooneyham, a Frisco ISD school, is located in McKinney. The two closest neighborhoods are in Frisco and McKinney. Homeowner associations and the developer have been meeting with both cities and the school district for the last month. But according to a Frisco ISD spokesperson, many folks are working on it, but the solution is not there yet. It's not a quick process. They say that it could cost over $100,000 to build the bridge that they need to build here because they have to go above water plane. Many of the kids who are now crossing the ditch actually rode the school bus last year, but when a new road was extended, the district discontinued school bus service. The parents say since this is the shortest route from their homes to the school, it needs to be safe. Live in McKinney, Steve Stoller, Channel 8 News. Okay, some of you are going, oh my God. And some of you are going, well, maybe they have a point. You have to do me a favor, guys. You really have to do me a favor. Those of you who generally just listen to the show, don't go to the blog, don't go to the show notes, and don't actually follow the links I put out for you. If you go to one thing I suggest this week, please come to the blog today, look, look up episode 1023, find the link that says, A Far Cry from Uphill Both Ways in the Snow, in the show notes, and click on it. And watch the video while you listen to the ridiculous commentary. The ditch, this huge, dangerous ditch, is about a two-foot-wide, four-inch-deep, concrete-lined, for lack of a better term, sidewalk in the bottom of the ditch that the water flows through. And they need $100,000 to build a bridge because the freaking homeowners association is afraid it'll be an eyesore. Now look, a Qantas club could get out here and probably build four or five ditches because the kids are all going to go to different sections. Four or five really nice uh, bridges, high enough above water lane, uh, water water plane. Because you know, if you put a bridge right at the bottom of it, the problem is it will form a dam if the flood comes up. So there's a design concern there. But a Kiwanis club could build four of these things. I would say for two to five thousand dollars for four of them. But when bureaucrats and homeowners association and parents that have made their children into weaklings get together, that becomes one bridge for $100,000. Here's the bigger thing. They don't need a bridge. I would be fine if the Kiwanis Club or somebody got together. I don't think Kiwanis Clubs, they really build wheelchair ramps or whatever. I'm sure the people there that will build, I don't really know what they do, but I think that's what they do. So it was just an example. A group of parents, if they know which end of a hammer goes down on the nail, how a nail and a saw works should be able to build some really nice bridges here for a few bucks and just do it. But no, 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 no. We have one city fighting the other city and one homeowner. And parents that are just... Just eating up with the dumbass. I'm sorry. Just eat. Okay. Again, when you watch the video, right when they're talking about how dangerous it is, they cut their head off so you can't see the little girl's face. But you can tell this little girl's like about maybe six years old. And you see her just stand there and just jump like with no real effort over the ditch. Oh, and my God, they might fall and skin a knee. Are you, they might get wet. Are you serious? Is this, and this is Texas. This is not freaking, you know, I don't know, Beverly Hills. This is freaking Frisco, Texas. 20 years ago, there were almost no suburbs in Frisco, Texas. Frisco, Texas was ranch and farmland 20 years ago. You gotta drive 
10 minutes from Frisco to get back to that now. Texas. Parents that can't handle their children walking across a two-foot-wide ditch. When I was a kid, we played in stuff like this. And you know what? You know what? My wife's in the other room. She'd come in here and call me a liar if I was lying. When my son, before I even knew him, was was living in the house that they had before my wife got divorced, and he was a little guy then, because I met them when he was six, seven, okay? There was a ditch, a lot, but it was a lot like this that the kids used to play in. My son's 23 years old, not 83 years old. The same back in the old days, guys. This is like 15 years ago. In 15 years, we've come from the concept that like ditches are like kind of a, a cool thing for kids to play in. And we used to hide in them and play war with each other and guns when I was a little kid. Can't have them do that no more either. Kid comes to school with a freaking army soldier glued to his hat. A little, little bitty army soldier. You know, like the ones back, you know, like the World War II ones you used to play with them. Your kid are like an inch and a half high. There was a kid in Maryland went to school with one glued to his hat. They said, make a hat. And he wanted to make one for like Veterans Day or something like that. He glued the, and the little tiny soldier had a little tiny gun and they threw him out of school because of a zero tolerance policy on farms. This is where our nation's headed. Our, you know, they always say children are the future. Parents, when you put your cocoons around your kids, that's our future. Kids that are told it's not safe to walk across a two foot wide, four inch concrete ditch. Folks, you got to go watch this. When you watch this, you will have a hard time believing that one, most parents would do this in the first place. Two, anybody would think that you need $100,000 to build a bridge across the damn thing. Three, that a news agency would report this as serious news. Four, it's the United States of America. And five, oh my God, it's Texas. I'll leave it there. Have a look for yourself. Uh, I'm going to finish up with something today that if you're not filtering your water and you're on grid water uh, and you just drink it every day and you think there's nothing to worry about, Uh, it might change your mind. I'm not going to use this person's name because it starts out with please don't use my name. I'm going to read it, uh, and I'm probably not going to post these pictures because I think the pictures uh, might possibly lead to this person being found out for giving us this information. But I can tell you that the pictures are just huge stockpiles of medications. Um being set up for being thrown away in a way I'm about to describe. Where do you hear this? Please don't use my name. When you spoke last week about the medications that can be in your water, you hit a sour note with me. But it's not from families dumping old drugs in the toilet. I've not been able to tell anyone about one of my job duties as a nurse where I work, as I could lose my job. I work at a nursing home in, I'm not going to even say the state to protect this person's identity, in a state in the United States of America, with a hundred or so patients. Each month, the doctor sees each patient and may change some of their meds. So if the doctor increases a med, say Lasix, from 10 to 20 milligrams, the 10 milligram drug is destroyed. Now, think about the waste here anyway, before we even get to the real problem. If you are being given 10 milligrams of Lasix, and your doctor increases it to 20, instead of just keeping what they have on hand and giving you two pills, they give you a new pill with 20 milligrams, and they destroy, and you wonder why the cost of elder care keeps going. I mean, not to mention they probably shouldn't be on most of this crap anyway, but just I wanted to point that out in the middle. But let me go back. So if you're increased from 10 to 20, the 10 milligram drug is destroyed. Meds are delivered for up to 90 days at a time, so that can be a lot of Lasix flushed down the toilet. Yes, that's where it goes, right in the water supply. Multiply that by over a 100 patients. The meds destroyed are horrific. To name a few include, I'm going to get some of these wrong, but here we go. Hadol, Prozac, Lipitor, Seroquel, Serumnet, every antibiotic you can name, and more and more. What you see in the pictures I've attached is a month of destroyed meds. I punch them out of the cards and flush them. There's no reason to do this. They are not outdated, nor are they contaminated. They have never left the medical system. 
If a patient has insurance to cover meds besides Medicaid or Medicare, the drugs can be returned to the pharmacy and reissued. They are, destro they are destroyed on site. Every nursing home in fill-in-the-blank my state has to do this, or their pharmacy does. If the drug is paid for by Medicaid, Medicare, or the facility, then it is returned to the pharmacy and reissued. Get that through your head, folks. If you have private insurance that pays for your drugs, okay, and you're at a facility and your drugs get changed, they take the drugs that were already paid for and flush them down the toilet. If Medicaid or Medicare paid for the drugs and they haven't been used or opened and they get changed, they put them back into the system. Ask yourself why they would do that. But let's go on to the real issue here. Now for narcotics, it is even worse. Every narcotic not used by the resident has to be returned to the nursing supervisor, logged in a form. After that, there's a few hundred pills to destroy. They get permission from the state to destroy, and they are all flushed down the toilet. Vicodin, Vicodin by the thousands. And again, there is no reason not to return these to the pharmacy to be reissued. Well, the guy at the government office approves to destroy would have to get a real job. This has been done for 15-plus years that I have worked here. It sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? It's true. And when people talk about drug levels in water being from, from people who take the meds, I have to cringe because it's probably from the way we destroy good meds by the thousands or really millions that get into the water. Like I've said, I've never been able to do anything about it because I could be fired. I've sent several pics and more to some news agencies, but no one cares. Thanks for letting me vent. I just had to let you know that you are more right than you could ever imagine. Really? No one in the news cares. Really? No one cares in the news. I bet somebody in the news cares. I bet... Somebody who listens to the Survival Podcast is either a producer for a news station or knows somebody that is. And I bet somebody cares. I bet somebody would like to break this story. In fact, I know for a fact from direct communications that several members of actual local news media stations that may not be bound to keep this thing quiet, I bet some of you guys are interested. Would you like the source? Would you like to put me, you put you in connection with the source? Would you like the photographs? Would you like to work with the source to ensure her anonymity? You know what? I've got one picture. I've got one picture I'm going to publish today. Because I don't see any way that anybody could be linked to this photograph. It is after that she said she punches them out, like if they're in like uh, foils or whatever, punches them out. It's a big bunch in a bucket that are about to get flushed. I'm going to publish that picture today. If you're in the news media and you want to stop being an ass clown and do your freaking job, get in touch with me. I will put, since this lady's already talked to the news, I know she'd be willing to talk to you. If you give me my word, you will protect her as your source and you will do right by her and you will bring this to public attention bigger than I can. I will put you in touch with a story that could be one of the biggest stories you could ever break. This is disgusting. This is despicable, and this is something we can change. If the people of this country know what's happening on this one, it will stop, and it will stop just as quick as Pink Slime did when it came to light, maybe faster. If you look at this picture, and you need to understand that our water that goes down our toilet ends up back in our sinks and bathtubs, and that... What they're concerned with getting out of our water when they do that is poop and pee and refuse. But a lot of these chemicals, a lot of these chemicals go right through that process. And these chemicals, these drugs, are going into your body when you drink water out of your faucet and when you mix formula for your baby. This is what you're putting into their body. You can debate whether fluoride's bad or not all you want. You look at this picture, and you tell me this belongs in our water supply. You tell me this belongs there for a second, and I'll tell you something's mentally wrong with you. I'll publish this picture today, just one, 
And I'm asking any member of the media out there that has the stones to break this story, let me help you do it. Do your freaking job and tell the public what's really happening. I've just told 50,000 people, but I guarantee you there's at least one of you out there that can tell 50 million people. Do you have the courage to do your job? Or like this lady says, do you not care? There's one person, there's one person I know for a fact listens to the show all the time. You're in Dallas, Texas. You work for a Dallas news associate, a Dallas news affiliate. How about redeeming the Dallas area? For that tripe that we heard about kids not being able to get across a bridge. How about taking this to whoever it takes? How about breaking this story? How about getting a real insider to tell you what's really going on? And let people know that when they send their parents or their grandparents for critical care and they're spending all this money to provide them with medication, that when the medication gets changed, that medication is thrown away, flushed down their toilets, fed to their children in a glass of water. How about telling them the truth? Here it is right in front of you. Who has the courage to do it? I do. I do. All I ask is you protect the source. Folks, with that, you can help that one in any way, please do. This has been Jack Spierko with another episode of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.